Leadership Confessions with Phil Rose from Clarity Leadership. Hi, and welcome to the latest edition of Leadership Confessions with me, Phil Rose. Now, I'm, I'm always excited to bring a variety of guests to you, but I'm really excited and proud to introduce today's guest, Gary Aidy from Vodafone. And the reason why I'm proud to introduce today's guest to you for two reasons. One, I think, is the scale of the role that Gary has. There's many leaders that I work with that have got large and significant roles, but none other than, than Gary, who leads a team worldwide of 25,000 people, which is phenomenal. But it's not just the scale in which he does it, it's how he does it. Uh, and I'm, I'm always looking to help and coach leaders to role model excellence uh, and to be the best leader they can be. And undoubtedly, a number of people have said to me in the past, when talking about Gary, they've, they've sort of said, yep, yeah, best boss I've ever had. And, and I don't think there's a better accolade. And he's a super nice guy to boot. So uh, that's why I'm delighted to welcome uh, Gary Ady from Vodafone uh, to Leadership Confessions. Gary, welcome. How are you, sir? Hello, Phil. I'm great. Thanks. How are you? Yeah, really well. Thank you. It's, uh, it's a pleasure to have you along. Thank you for your time today. Um, look, I, I gave a very, very brief overview of your role. You'll do a much better job than me. Please explain to the, 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 uh, our listeners what, what your role entails. Sure. So as you say, Phil, I lead a team called Voice at Vodafone. We're about 25,000 professionals at the last count uh, distributed around the world. And we essentially deliver front, middle and back office services uh, back into Vodafone. So we're sort of a shared services organization. We do that across a variety of different functions spanning finance to customer care, technology, marketing, uh, even sales. And I guess our role really is to deploy our people and our technology to scale that service portfolio as much as we can. Uh, And in return, we should therefore drive sort of efficient growth for Vodafone and hopefully deliver a great experience for our customers. That that sounds a a sort of a lovely elevator pitch. Uh, It sounds a a terribly complex role or you're making it sound easy. How complex is it? Yeah, I think it it can be complex. Um, I mean, within those 25,000 people, we've got various different operating models You know, we have hardline reports and matrix organizations and dotted lines and teams in teams. So I think how we're structured um, can sometimes be a little bit daunting, but uh, we try and keep our vision and our goals really simple so that uh, everyone in the team understands where we're going, are clear on where we are and therefore what the challenge is. And that sort of helps remove some of that uh, sort of design complexity, if you like. So your role as a leader in that has got to be paramount. And I guess when you think of leaders that you've learned from and admire, who would that be and and why? I was asked this recently and um, it took a bit of thought actually to come up with some some examples. And I think uh, I, I tend to admire leaders that show certain attributes uh, and attributes that I personally value. So, um, you know, the three examples that came to mind, uh, the first one was around uh, purpose and being purpose driven. So I think Paul Polman, when he was at Unilever, was a great role model and ambassador for purpose led leadership. Uh, He had the courage from the get go to, you know, set out a very clear vision for the company. 
and uh, hold his responsibility, you know, to the environment and the planet uh, really dearly and close to the company's heart. So, but Paul probably for, for that, I think from a, to give you a sporting example, because I know you love your sport, Phil. <laughs> uh, I read a book recently about the All Blacks and it reminded me of, of Richie McCall. And, uh, and I admire Richie really for, for his consistency. And I think consistency along with authenticity is really important for a leader. And if you think about his tenure as a captain and a player, if you think about the tough position that he had in the team and you think about that sort of uh, continual high performance that he helped deliver with that team over many, many years, I mean, you know, that's just incredible leadership. And uh, to be able to sustain that at such a high standard, I think, is remarkable. And then the third one was really was around visionaries. And this one's going to sound probably a little bit cheesy, but Elon Musk, I mean, you've got to love him, right? <laughs> those, uh, the, the, those two rocket boosters that landed uh, in synchronicity yeah, uh, on cool. the end. I mean, it was just poetic. It was beautiful. And, <laughs> you know, the, the vision uh, involved in making that happen, I, I just wish I could have been a fly on the wall in the meeting when he explained you know, why he wanted that and uh, and why it was possible. It must have been amazing. So, yeah, I think I tend to gravitate towards leaders who, you know, show attributes that, that I really value. And so, you know, Paul for purpose, Richie for consistency and uh, Elon for vision. So you talked about those three things there. How, how would you describe your leadership style? And I guess, you know, I, I can ask your team, but, I, but also it would be it would be interesting to understand your sort of conscious approach to your own leadership style. Uh, probably far less exciting than those three. Um, <laughs> I, I, I describe it as as mainly a coaching style. So I, you know I like to facilitate others um, and enable things. Uh, I'm I'm quite happy not being sort of front and centre uh, of things um, and making things happen. You know from sort of behind the scenes. I think if I look back on when I when I take on a role and take on a challenge, the first thing I always like to do is set a, a compelling vision for the team uh, that they can buy into and then take real joy in building the infrastructure around them to help them succeed uh, and then just give them bucket loads of empowerment to, to go off and achieve and, and be their best. And I think once that machine is then moving, it's just about finding those sort of little trim tab opportunities to help make them stronger, you know, every time that you engage with them. And what shaped that? I guess it's because I can't imagine, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I can't imagine, you know, your first leadership role, it was all around a coaching style. I guess what have been the defining moments that have led you to be, you know, that's actually, that's the style I want to be, that's the style I want to approach? I, I think if I, if I think about defining moments, Phil, they've all revolved around people placing trust in me, probably when I didn't expect it. So, you know, I remember probably, gosh, I'm struggling to count, 20 years ago now, uh, a leader who I won't embarrass on, on the podcast, but, you know, promoted me from, a, from an accountancy role to a sales role, you know, within four years of me, of me starting work. And, uh, you know, that was a huge call for him. I'd never done sales before. You know, I can't really profess to having much customer facing experience, but he took a chance and he trusted me and I showed what I could do and, and, and moved on from there. So I think when people 
empower you and trust you and uh, and believe in you and it pays off then that really shapes how you want to treat others and the opportunities that you want to give them i think in terms of other things that shape my leadership style i think i'm very values driven so i've got a very strong fairness and equity gene <laughs> um yeah, yeah. You have, <laughs> like you know, so I like to, to to play fair and give people opportunities, and um, I think I had one. If I look back, I've probably only had one not great experience in my career when I joined a company, and it didn't really pan out as I as I expected. And when I reflect on that, the reason was there was no leadership at all in that company, and. Um, that sort of made me realize the great responsibility leaders have. Even if you're not a great leader, the fact that you're trying is better than having no leadership at all. And yeah. um, in a way, I was lucky to to learn that relatively early in my career. And often we learn from when things aren't great rather than when things are good. That's a, a very much a common theme through a number of these podcasts of people learning of, of how not to do it. What's been your biggest challenge, do you think, uh, as a leader? And, and how have you overcome that? I think it was Warren Buffett, right, that said it's only when the tide goes out that you realise who's been swimming naked. And um, <laughs> I've not heard that one before. You, that <laughs> yeah, our, our, um, our investor relation guys use it all the time, and I love it. Um, and and the reason I, I share that is because uh, as a leader, um, uh, for many many years, I never wanted to be caught naked. And um, and what I mean by that is I've got. I've got a very high sort of perfectionist standard. And my biggest focus really was learning how to uh, not treat every task, process, job, role, conversation, meeting as it has to be 100%. I've, I've learned to focus a bit more on pace over perfection uh, over the years. And, you know, when it's absolutely critical, if there's a board meeting or a risk committee or an interview and it has to be perfect, then, you know, I still insist on those standards. But uh, it took me too long to learn that, uh, you know, you can't, you, not everything can be perfect and you can't expect yourself and others to to deliver perfection 24-7-365. And, um, and I think that held me back for quite a long time. So how do you deal with that? And is that because you talk of there's two lenses I'm looking at that as your own work and, and being the perfectionist streak in you in that, but also there's looking for perfection in others. How, how do you how do you cope with that? How, how have you what's your mechanism? Because you won't be alone. There'll be other people going, oh, I've got that perfectionist streak. So how have you dealt with it? Yeah, I, I think this, it, it's, the, it's the point I made around sort of judging the task and, you know, what's really required. And I think you get better at that with experience you know, is, is the first thing. I think, the, you know, the second the second simple thing is not to assume I've got a great boss, you know, I can ask her if this is a, you know, 100% thing or whether a text will do and, and she'll give me an honest answer and that's how I approach stuff. Whereas, you know, before I had the confidence to do that, I would have, you know, gone and produced a five-page paper when a text mm -hmm. would, have, would have sufficed. So I think, you know, having the having the confidence and the courage just to ask the question is is a good start point. But I I think it's also linked to to the coaching style. And um, you know, I I still have that sort of strong perfectionist gene. And when I see something that isn't quite quite right, um, <laughs> it can make me twitch a bit. But uh, you know, I, I I consciously and I have it written on my whiteboard in front of me. You know, I default to 
trying to coach and and guide people to to sort of you know raise the bar when I see things that can be improved as opposed to you know maybe jumping in and doing it myself yeah okay and the other thing that i i heard although you didn't use this language was was you know sort of sometimes asking your boss is the text okay or do you need something more detailed i guess it's having that you know and, and that psychological safety which a number of people are talking about at the moment but knowing you feel trusted in that environment um is important it sounds like i, th I think it's critical and you're, and you're right you know there's there's a lot of discussion around psychological safety at the moment and um and rightly so given you know some of the events of the last the last couple of years but um you know five ten years ago i don't think i ever heard the term and so i spent a lot of time trying to second guess what people wanted and expected um and now i you know i encourage my team to to ask me um you know i'm maybe not always the clearest in my requests uh and you can send people down blind alleys and, and waste a lot of energy on things that aren't required. So yeah, just ask the question. And, um, you know, if you, if you, if you free yourself doing that, then, you know, everyone wins. So the, 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 the podcast is rather cheekily named leadership confessions. Um, what, what would you say your biggest mistake as a leader has been and, and, and what have you learned from it? I, th I think it's linked to the, to, to the previous question. And, um, if I look back on those sort of key leadership transitions, right, the the big one is the shift from an individual contributor to a manager, and then you go from sort of, you know, a manager to, to leading leaders. And again, I think I, spend a, I spent a lot of time in what I'd call this sort of rescuer, saviour role. Uh, I found letting people fail quite difficult uh, because I think – you know, I, I used to second guess how it would feel for them. And if I'm really honest, I used to think it would reflect on me as well. So I put, a, you know, a disproportionate amount of energy earlier in my leadership career in um, trying to make sure that, that people didn't fail, you know, before realizing and learning that actually there's a huge amount to be gained from positive failure, you know, experimentation learning fast, all those sort of things, yeah. which again, are commonplace now when you talk about the modern leader, but, you know, maybe back in the day, weren't so much. And I definitely fell into that trap in hindsight. And you say it's commonplace now. I say it's common language now. I'm not sure, actually, there's still a lot of people that would sort of say, look, we want to fail fast, but actually we're still nervous of failing because we're, we are nervous of the consequences of, of what might happen. It sounds like you're you're trying to create an environment where actually you know you are embracing failure because you're going to you're going to give people that space and all not wanting them to fail but knowing there's a huge amount of learning to be done in that. Yeah, exactly, exactly. I think that's a, that that's a great way of putting it, Phil. So switch tack a bit because you, you know there will be people listening to this going, "Wow, Gary sounds so level-headed," and you are you're very calm, and you are you're very clear, and you are because I know you a little bit. What rattles your cage? How long have you got? <laughs> like, I mean, I've listened to to most of the other podcasts, and I, th I think there's an area where there's lots of consistency here. So, you know, the first thing is apathy. Yeah. You know, I, I I like my teams and my colleagues to genuinely care and take responsibility for for what they're doing, not just because we you know we have a responsibility to to our employers and our customers. 
but because I know what rewards it can give when you really care about something and then you succeed. So, you know, I have, I have an allergic reaction to, to apathy for sure. Uh, and I guess linked to that sort of a lack of accountability, you know, I'm very much a see it, own it, do it type of person. And that's not always appropriate. I'm not saying that's, you know, the best approach for everything, but that's my default switch. And therefore, when I see people seeing it, dodging it and uh, ignoring it, it sort of winds me up a little bit. And I guess the other thing really is, is you know, self-importance. I think it's always about the team and, you know, you do have to uh, put your own life jacket on first as a leader and look after yourself. But um, by the same token, you know, it's it, it's about the collective and um, and those and those common goals. So when you get people who are, I guess, more concerned about, you know, themselves um, for the wrong reasons, then then that can be a little bit grating as well. Yeah, cool. I've, I've got to mention it because I'm sure this will be put, that would have put a smile on a few people's faces because the, the see it, own it, do it language of above and below the line, which we would have done with a number of teams that will be making people smile as you use that language. And so I was line. listening. I was listening. Yeah. <laughs> so so when, when, when are you when are you at your best? Uh, when I'm well rested, I need my sleep. I remember when uh, when Tom, my first was born. And I wasn't getting any sleep. I could not function. So I do need to be well rested. And I sort of need to be fit and healthy as well, if I'm honest. I like to exercise regularly. So if I'm injured, I get really cranky. So from a, a physical perspective, it's 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 the basics. And then I'm at my best when I've got, you know, a really big challenge uh, to go after that, you know, exerts just enough pressure, you know, to keep me uh on my toes and and help me perform at my best but yeah it's it, it's it's a challenge that really really drives me ideally trying to figure the challenge out in front of a whiteboard i've really missed not being able to jump up out of my seat and scribble things and you know get people engaged in a discussion and you know those situations where they snatch the pen off you and scribble <laughs> something else and, and you just create stuff and i've i've not found a way of doing that effectively uh, in lockdown but yeah i think you know well rested big challenge in front of a whiteboard is, is when i'm at my best and i think you know underpinning all of that for me though is is uh i guess a sense of purpose I, you know i need to know why i'm doing something it can be the worst role the worst project you know the worst meeting <laughs> but it sort of doesn't matter if in my own mind i've got line of sight as to why i'm doing it why it's important and what great looks like at the end. So yeah, when when I've got that sort of balance, I think that's when I'm at my best. And and I'm sure the next question is going to be closely linked. So what does high performance look like to you? You know, again, you know, it might just be how I do it, but I, I think to be fair, leadership is hard work, right? And so when I see high performance, I see people working hard. Again, I see that sort of really high say do ratio, and from that, you know, tends to come great results. I, I guess there's also sort of a restlessness as well to improve you know and really believing better so you put those things together you know hard work do what you say and and constantly trying to raise the bar and i think that's where you get really great high performance so there'll be there'll be a number of younger people listening to this and i guess also maybe it's a question to reflect about you know what would you what advice would you give to either aspiring leaders of the future or, or a gary ad of you know a young gary ad starting out again 
and, and actually they're different questions, but what advice would you give? Let's start with the aspiring leaders. What advice would you give to the, the up and coming leaders? And I know you do a lot of coaching within the business and outside of the business in this. Yeah, I think it's an interesting time for, for, for young leaders. I remember Phil having the, the opportunity to present a clarity hypo event at London Stock Exchange. Yeah. And I think I ended my presentation talking about, you know, modern leaders needed to be four things. Uh, technologists, innovators, visionaries, and humanitarians. And I think, you know, especially looking at the period we've just come through, you know, my my biggest piece of advice would be, you know, stay balanced across those four things, but really don't underinvest in the final one. Yeah. Because even in a digital world, it, it's the most important thing. You know, I've got half of my team based in India. It's been a really tough time. Uh, over the last few months, as, as everyone will have seen on the news, but they're just an amazing group of, of humans. You know, they're resilient, they're resourceful, they're there for each other, and they've delivered brilliant business outcomes under the under the worst circumstances possible. So, you know, I think I think it's important to, as I say, especially in a digital world, sort of maintain that balance, and then maybe linked to, you know, some of my learnings. I think young leaders also genuinely have to have a growth mindset in order to you know really really self-develop and importantly these days unlearn stuff you know because the way the best practice management structures and approaches when I started in my career a lot of them now are completely defunct so you know you need to unlearn those things that have, have served you so well and the process of unlearning can be slow and hard and I think the modern leader needs to figure out a way of doing that a lot quicker than you know maybe old duffers like me mate <laughs> um, and what advice would you give a young gary ad starting out again uh wash your hair less often because apparently <laughs> it doesn't fall out as quickly would probably be my main piece of advice um most definitely uh i would say to to myself just take yourself a bit less seriously and i guess i touched on this a little bit when i talked about the perfectionist approach i don't know where it came from but I started my career with a, a very clear view on what professional meant. And sometimes, you know, I got that wrong. And um, I think to myself and, and you know, some of the roles I did, especially in the early years, a bit too seriously. So just, you know, chill out a bit and, uh, and go with the flow a bit more would probably be the advice I give to myself. Which is, you know, it's interesting to say that now. And again, that it's not uncommon that that comes up as a, a response. But I, I wonder whether that just comes having got there because, it, you know, it's, it, it's tough because you are taking things seriously, you know, when you're starting out. I, I guess it's just trying to put it into perspective. Mm -hmm. Professionally or, or personally, how have you overcome your, your biggest setbacks? I've been really lucky professionally. I've not had many uh, massive setbacks that I can think of, certainly not anything to complain about. As I mentioned earlier, I made a, a bad move once, uh, but in hindsight, you know, I still learned from that experience. I, I wouldn't do it again if I'd known how it was going to play out, but I still took great learnings from that that I think have helped me, you know, become the leader I am today. From a personal perspective, you know, like, like most people, my, my biggest setbacks have revolved around sort of death of loved ones. I lost my sister at, at a very young age and after a period of almost but not quite going off the rails, you'll be pleased to know. That loss sort of really drove me to want to get the best out of, of every day I have. And, um, you know, more recently, 
it was it was the core reason for joining the the team at Teenage Cancer Trust and you know helping them uh, support kids who are uh, teenagers who are battling with cancer. So which I love to do and hopefully I can add some more value to. So I think you know very similar to to, to others. Uh, you know, those big life moments shape you in some way and you just have to hope they're positive. And in my case, you know, it, it has been. And that's a perfect segue for going in for some of the, the things that you get involved with outside of Vodafone. So obviously the Teenage Cancer Trust, I know you're involved now in British Triathlon Federation. Just give us a, a flavour of, of some of those roles and, um, and why you do them. Yeah, so the um, the Teenage Cancer Trust wanted to establish a corporate board and use senior execs from large corporates to help drive uh, connections and therefore fundraising. And I was lucky enough to be approached uh, to to join that board and then I was asked to chair it. Um, so I have the privilege of working with uh, a really strong group of senior execs who have got, you know, digital black books as long as your arm, who are super passionate about um, supporting teenagers through, you know, what what is a, an awful, awful experience for, for anyone, but especially, you know, you think of all the changes teenagers are going through anyway, hormonally, um, life changes, you know, kids to adults, and then to be told you have cancer, it's just, you know, an earth-shattering thing. So the Teenage Cancer Trust does a most amazing job uh, through their specialist nurses and wards in supporting uh, those teenagers and and in our own way the corporate board um hopefully help you know support more kids and uh give more help to to to, to those uh to, to those people in need and then more recently i joined the british triathlon team to chair the board of trustees so there's a charity within british triathlon called the triathlon trust which again i've only been doing this now for three or four months but uh really strong community of people passionate about using swim bike and run uh, and other sort of healthy life skills to encourage children and young people to to, to get into sport and get active and uh, yeah it's early days on that one but relishing the opportunity to see how we can move that forward and I think you know the, the obvious theme with both is you know giving back to charities especially in the space of, of children and young people and anything I can do to to help that is is a real pleasure for me personally and hopefully a value to them as well. Uh, and, you know, I guess there'll be some people going, that, that's great. You know, look, you, you, you lead an organisation of 25,000 people. You're, you're a, a husband, a father of two. How the, how the hell do you find the time to do the other stuff? Yeah, I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure I think. <laughs> some of my stakeholders may say I'm not finding the time. Um <laughs> I, th I think, look, th th there's only so many hours in the day, and uh, I, I know how hard you work, Phil, and and also how you, you know, balance your work and your your activities outside of work. I think it's about, you know, we've gone full circle on the call. I think if you're if you've got a clear set of values and 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 you live your life on purpose, uh, and you know, I've learned a lot from from you and and clarity in this space as well then you prioritize what's important. Um, and and that's what I do. You know, I'm very busy. Uh, my family comes first always. Um, my work is is super important to me and I pride myself in doing the best job I possibly can. Um, but the other things are really important as well. And, uh, you know, I sacrifice time 
that I may have spent budgeting in front of Netflix to, <laughs> you know, figure out how we're going to raise money for, for Teenage Cancer Trust or how we're going to write a strategy for the Triathlon Trust. And, you know, that's how I, I want to spend my time on, on the planet. So you just sort of reprioritize. Sounds easier than maybe it is, but um, there's only so many hours to play with. Good on you, mate. I think a few people might have spat out their drinks if they were drinking anything when you said about how hard I work. What does the future hold for you? That's a really good question. Hopefully, uh, you know, a continued healthy mix of personal and, and professional challenges with some, I don't know, some surprises thrown in. Um, uh, we're at a really exciting stage uh, in Vodafone with voice. Uh, we, we know we've made a huge progress over the last couple of years in, in re-establishing the team and crafting a clearer purpose for the organisation. And I think uh, the next couple of years, we, you know, I hope to take that to the next level and make sure that we maximise the impact for our company there. You know, we've got a big opportunity to drive digital much harder. You know, COVID has, has proven that uh, our sort of mentality, which we call 100% human, we can embed that, embed that philosophy even further as we come out of COVID and embed the learning. So, so work's exciting. And um, as I say, we were only sort of halfway through the job there. And then... I think with, you know, Teenage Cancer Trust, we're sort of a couple of years into that. And the next phase, I think we need to industrialize the work in those first two years so that we, you know, we create something that's really, really sustainable. And with the Triathlon Trust, we're just at the start of that journey. So, uh, as I say, it's, it, we're really at the point of agreeing the purpose and then, you know, we can start to build a strategy and do good things. So with those interests, really busy time all at very similar stages in terms of it's a lot more around strategy and vision than you know operational execution um at the moment but that's good it's a good way to stretch your brain and um and get you thinking so i'm enjoying that yeah good for you sir so a few quick fire questions which you'd have heard before as well um what, what's your guilty pleasure ah well <laughs> It's a it's a it's a small glass of sherry on a Sunday. So uh, when my when my wife Joe is cooking cooking a roast, uh, we will crack out and you know like like eighty year olds have a little glass of sherry. And the reason I love that, I, I know that one will make you laugh. Um, the reason I love that it reminds me of my nan because my nan right. used to drink sherry all the time. And uh, so yeah, that, that that's my guilty pleasure, Phil. Uh, that's, that is brilliant, uh, fabulous. Uh, uh, what would you put in room one hundred and one? <laughs> uh, on reflection, I think the guilty pleasure question. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think that's going to come back and bite you in the butt. Yeah, I know, I know. We, maybe we can edit that out along with, <laughs> al along with you working hard. Um, yeah, yeah. So one hundred and one uh, oversized packaging. Nothing drives me more crazy than 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 ordering a tube of super glue on Amazon and it comes in a six by four cardboard box. I mean, how does that work? So yeah, that, that has to go in, in room one oh one. maybe this is a question for, for for Joe or the boys. What what's one of your most annoying traits or sayings? Uh, I don't have any feel, but others have said I lack self awareness. Um, no, I asked them this last night over dinner and uh, we, agree, we agreed it was symmetry. And what they mean by that is uh, I'm a bit of a tidy freak. Uh, and when I really get going, I start lining things up, making sure they're symmetrical, which apparently can be quite annoying, especially if, <laughs> especially if you're trying to 
sort of plant things in the garden and I've got the rule about making sure they're equidistant because apparently that's nature and it's supposed to grow everywhere. So yeah, symmetry is my uh, one of my annoying traits, but there were many, many of them. So surely the boys can wind you up just by moving things around the, the cupboard then or something, I would imagine. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, uh, then what, lastly, what, what makes you smile? Oh, uh, memories uh, and specifically family memories. So uh, I mean, it's great these days you get the pop-ups on the iPhone of, you know, things that you were doing a year ago, uh, which 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 fill me with joy. But I have this sort of habit of uh, I, I try as soon as I return from a, a holiday, I always try and make sort of a slideshow video of the holiday, put some music to it um, and uh, and keep them on my phone. And they always make me smile and and sometimes cry when I watch them. But, you know, hugely powerful. I find, you know, especially when I used to travel a lot and you're missing the family, you just mm. sort of mm. flick on the video and it, it always makes you smile and laugh and remember stuff. So, yeah, memories for sure. Uh, Gary, thank you, sir. There'll be a, a number of people going, what a what a humble character, what an exceptional leader. And, and, and having known you for a number of years and worked with you for a number of years, I can absolutely say that is you. It's always just a, a pleasure to work with you on a number of levels. So thank you for today uh being an exceptional guest yeah there you go i'm done mate. that was brilliant thank you thanks phil leadership confessions from clarity leadership email hello at clarityleadership.co.uk and subscribe to receive every episode as it's released